0: journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Edel Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, Shalom and welcome to 101.9. Hi FM, my name is Edel Kazilski and we are going to be spending the next three quarters of an hour learning Torah together. I'm excited. I hope you are too. As always, I love if you join the conversation on 34519. That is our SMS line. And 061-895-1019 is our SMS number. We are going through the Bible. We are on chapter 39 now of Genesis. And we are going back to the story of Joseph. Yes, last week we had a, a slight interval in the narrative where we learned about his brother Yehuda. And how he was um, he was uh, uh, coerced, so to speak, by his daughter-in-law to have um, a, a baby, and in fact he has two that then become the the, the predecessors to Mashiach. So um, that was what happened last week. We're now going back to the story of. Yosef, the story of Joseph, and where we left off before was the fact that he was sold into slavery. So if you have a homish in front of you, open up to chapter 39, verse 1. If you're driving, well, sit back and relax. You don't have to worry about the traffic. You can just listen on. For Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah, Joseph was brought down to Egypt by Yiknehu Potiphar Srisparo, Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, Sar HaTabachim, he was the chief Ish-Mitzri, he was an Egyptian man, he brought them away from, Miyad yad from the hands of the Yishmaelites, Asher Horiduhu Shama, who brought him there. So now we first of all, just to give a little bit of background around uh, Potiphar, Some say that he was the chief butcher in preparation. He was in charge of preparing meat for the royal palace. Others say he was the chief executioner. Now, um, why did Potiphar go out specifically and buy Yosef? Because we are told that um, he he wanted to have somebody good-looking that would raise the status in uh, in his house and he, unfortunately, also had a certain certain amount of um, sexual desire for the same sex. And he intended to use um, Yosef for homosexual purposes. Now, we know that the Torah does not allow for homosexuality. And it's not a topic that I want to get in completely. But just for us to understand right now that that's what it was, Um But what happened, those were his intentions. God did not allow Potiphar to do anything because he would ultimately benefit from Yosef. And what benefit did he derive from Yosef? The fact that he eventually would marry his daughter. we will see this in Parshat Bakayit as we get to the end of that. So Potiphar was therefore allowed to live, so he would be able to take care of his daughter until she grew up, and um, she would not be left and orphan. Now, what's very interesting is that the verse says that he bought uh, Yosef from the Ishmaelites, even though we know that the Ishmaelites had sold him to the Midianites, who had sold him to the those other guys. Okay, um, so. It, it, it's really, really uh, a pretty interesting idea why he went back to uh, the Ishmaelites. And here we see that racism and the slave tra- trade was alive and well, even in the days of Egypt. And the Midrash went and said that um, Potiphar noticed, noticed something untoward over here. Because when the Midianites came, Um, To them the Midianites were men of a much darker skin. They were they they were ostensibly black men Um, He said to them You know normally when it comes to the slave trade I see white men selling black men as slaves and Here I have it that I see black men selling a white man as a slave and this tells me that you somehow kidnapped him and before I buy him you need to go and uh, bring for me and vouch for me um, that in fact, you know, you did indeed buy him and I'm not getting into any troubles. So what happened? The Midianites went back to the Ishmaelites to guarantee that Joseph was purchased from them. And then that was how the deal was closed. So when the Torah says that he bought him from the Ishmaelites, um, this was because they had to go back and go prove that, in fact, um, Joseph wasn't stolen merchandise. Um, We have another opinion where um, the rabbis say that Joseph's brothers originally sold him to the Ishmaelites to bring him back to Egypt. Along the way, a group of Midianites going down to Egypt purchased him from the Ishmaelites, but then the Midianites hadn't gone gone too far when Ishmaelites again uh, saw Yosef, and because he looked like he was very expensive merchandise, particularly because he was good looking and strong and strapping, okay, and they stole him back again from the Midianites, and that's how they sold him to Potiphar. On a deeper level, what we see over here now is that there is a lot of um, going on in terms of slavery, okay. The Yishmaelites um, who bought Joseph was uh, in, they're in fact descendants of Abraham's slave Hagar. So they were the descendants of slaves. Potiphar was a descent from Ham, Ham being the son of Noah. Noah cursed his son to be a slave's slave to his brothers. So he too was a descendant of slaves. And now Yosef, who was the firstborn son of Yaakov's favorite wife, had now become a slave. So the transaction involved people who were descendants of slaves, who became slaves. It, it was clearly um, interesting that this entire episode was, in fact, directed by divine providence. As we've said, we look at stories and we see in our lives things happening to us on a daily basis. And we kind of attribute to to the weather, to the bank manager, to you know the situation in Ukraine right now, whatever it is that we blame it on. But in truth, um, what really is happening behind all of that is that there is divine providence and God is in fact directing the world. Verse 2, but God was with Joseph. He became actually very, very successful in Potiphar's house. And he, um, even though he, he was he was bought as a servant. He, he rose through the ranks of, <coughs> of, of, of his slavery. Hashem <inaudible> His master saw that it, um, God was with him. Hashem <inaudible> biado. And he saw that everything um, that he did with his hands, he became very, very successful. So we can see over here that... Uh, that um, there was something supernatural about the existence of Yosef. In fact, it says that when it says that God was with him, um, it was because he used to pray to God three times a day. And the Midrash goes and tells us that one day Potiphar saw him praying silently and he said to him, if you would, please tell me what are you whispering about because maybe you are trying to conjure up a magic spell. And if you are, let me tell you something. We know there are ten measures of sorcery. Ten measures of sorcery have been given to the world, and of them, nine have been taken by Egypt. To which Joseph replied, "Nothing of the sort. I'm just praying to God to grant me favour in your eyes." So Potiphar said to him, "If you're praying, where is your God? I don't see any of your gods here. I'd like to see your God." To which he replied, "That is impossible. God is invisible." To see him is beyond the power of being. So he really, really held an intrigue for Potiphar in this area. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We're following the story of Yosef, and we know that Yosef was very, very successful. We are now going into verse 4 of. Chapter 39. Yosef gains favor in his master's eyes. And he serves him personally. He he places him in charge. Potiphar places him in charge of his house. In fact, everything that he owned, he gave Joseph jurisdiction. He gave everything into Joseph's hands. And it was from the time that he placed Yosef in charge of his house and all that he had, what happened? God, uh, God blessed this Egyptian house because of Yosef. And God's blessing was found in all that he owned, both in the house and in the field. So we're told, for example, that when Yosef handled any merchandise, it appeared to be blessed. So normally, merchants would sell on credit and give a discount for cash. But Yosef was able to obtain a good price even for cash sales. Um, So what would uh, Potiphar do? He would bring his merchandise home just so that Yosef would be able to touch it. And then what would happen is that he started noticing Potiphar that everything that Yosef touched or handled became blessed. When he was in the fields, the fields were blessed. When he was in the house, the house was blessed. And this is how Yosef remained with Potiphar for 12 months. During the six months of the dry season, Potiphar was in the fields. He placed Yosef in charge of his house. During the six months of the rainy season, Potiphar would be in the house Yosef would be in charge of the fields. But Potiphar saw the, 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 the miraculous nature of Yosef even personally. For example, when Joseph waited on Potiphar, he was able to give him anything that he desired immediately. Example, if Potiphar, if Potiphar gave Yosef a cup of wine and then said, want water, Yosef would be immediately be able to transform the wine into water. Um, He had that power. He was spiritual enough and strong enough to instantaneously transform anything in his hand into what his master desired. And when Potiphar saw this, he gave Joseph all the keys to his household. He did not ask him for an accounting of anything. And Joseph succeeded unbelievably and Potiphar understood that he could depend on him. So, he left everything that he had in the hand of Yosef. He didn't concern himself with anything except for the bread that he ate. And Yosef remained well-built and good-looking. A little bit innocuous, a little bit uh, metaphorical over here. Why? If Potiphar was able to give Yosef absolutely everything, why is it that he would not allow him to be in charge of the bread that he ate? And our rabbis go and tell us that it wasn't about the bread. Well, some do hold it was about the bread. We'll get into that now. But the majority hold that it wasn't about the bread, that the bread that he ate was in fact a euphemism for Potiphar's wife meaning Potiphar gave him rule and reign over the, his entire household except for his wife um, another opinion holds that they actually are talking about the bread that Potiphar ate he didn't want Yosef to touch that because he um, he the slaves were considered untouchables in Egypt and he didn't want to him to personally touch the bread that Potiphar ate okay um, Another opinion says that in fact, Potiphar investigated Yosef a lot. okay He wanted to, to see if he could discover anything in his quarters. Like we know that when there is a lot of opulence and there is a lot of, of stuff in a house, it can be um, a, a, an enticement. To somebody who is serving in the house to steal and so he he checked up on Yosef to see did Yosef take anything and he in fact was proven wrong okay Yosef um, Yosef uh, was not like other slaves he did not steal his master's goods he, he never did business with them to make money on the side the only thing that he did was eat the bread that he got We're also told that not only did he eat the bread that he got, he didn't take anything else. Yosef, of course, was wary of the laws of Kashrut. He did not want to defile himself with eating any forbidden foods. And that's why the verse finishes off that he was yefa, yefei to'ar, the yefei mare, that he was well built and he was good looking. Why? Because all he did was eat bread. You would think that he would become either emaciated or he, you know, he wouldn't get the right nutrition. It would affect his health. The truth of the matter says the Torah remained healthy. He remained well-built and he remained as handsome as a prince despite his, uh, his, uh, his, his, his conditions. Now, one other thing, just to take the two words, yefei to'ar v yefei mare, that he was a hands, of handsome form. So we are told that Yefai Mare means that from a distance you could see that he was a good-looking boy, that he was um, you know, of good form. Then yifas Mare, uh, that when you came on close examination, you actually saw that he had a handsome experience. So clearly, Yosef is, in a sense, out of place. He's put in as a slave into a it seems a very well greased and oiled uh, a member of Pharaoh's government of, of his hierarchy there is a lot there can, that can be enticing and um, he's not allowing himself to be enticed he's remaining very pure and very very um, very true to his upbringing and there comes a point in time where Potiphar absolutely uh, you know um, lets him have free reign in his household. But it cannot be if you have such a, a a person in a household that he doesn't attract the attention of others. And now we are going into um, what now lands up becoming what seems what seems to become, because at the end it, it, turn, it will turn around for Yosef, but uh, uh, we're going to come into the situation where Potiphar's wife is now looking at Yosef. After these events, okay, after um, Yosef is placed in the complete charge of the household, his master's wife casts her eye upon Yosef, and she says, sleep with me. Basically, she tries to seduce him. Now, one of the things that happened with Yosef, and it is an entire discussion because it certainly does not come from a place of vanity, but one of the things that irritated the brothers and now it's irritating uh, Potiphar's wife is that because he was so good-looking, he also had a, a, a need to fix his hair, to care for his appearance. He was he was very, very careful in looking after himself. And so um, this irritated his brothers when he walked around well-groomed in his coat of many colors and now he's walking wa- around well-groomed in the house of Potiphar and Potiphar's wife cannot, um, cannot contain herself. Now we've spoken a lot about the concept of midda, that everything that happens for every action, there is a reaction for every cause, there is an effect and for every effect there will be another cause. Um, and that in Interwoven into the narrative of the Khumash, we are talking about the fact, as we saw with Yosef Sale that while it was divine providence that he should come down to Egypt because he is the seed of the redemption um, and all will be well at the end. Nevertheless, the, the day-to-day struggles that everybody went through, yosef being sold as a slave, and uh, um, Yaakov suffering because of it, and, and all the brothers suffering, etc. They were all also punishments, um, because they had done something wrong, and now it was payback time. So, yeah, you could see the punishment always fits. Yosef had slandered his brothers, if you recall, okay, by saying that they were casting their eye on other men's wives. That's one of the things that he told his father. Now, his intentions were good. He wanted his father to correct them, okay, Um, but nevertheless, even though he had good intentions, um, that doesn't take away that he actually spoke Losh and Hora, that he sinned, and so now... Um, although, the, 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 and so now what happens? His punishment begins with his master's wife casting eyes upon him. So know that everything that we do in life, um, even if our intention is good or or otherwise, there is a midah kineged midah. There is one action for another. One one result. One action will res- will land up with a result that will come back your way. So he has now got the temptation of Potiphar looking after, um, looking, looking at him, wanting him. Also, we, um, we, we are told that he was punished for fixing his, appear, his appearance. Um, he had no bad intentions. But nevertheless, the Midrash says that um, his father was mourning for him. He should have also felt some grief. And because he he was like really, you know, worrying about himself and not worrying so much about his father Uh, um, mourning, he too was now going to suffer and atone for this sin. There is a third opinion, as always with Jews, we can't have one opinion. We have to have a whole bunch that this was not a punishment at all. Um, Divine providence arranged it so that Potiphar would rid himself of Yosef because Yosef really essentially was serving in an immoral household. And, you know, the fact that he was so handsome um, is really to publicize Yosef's saintliness that he did not, he could, he, he didn't succumb to sin. In effect, in fact, the Midrash waxes waxes eloquent on this. And um, it says that Yosef himself understood it and he said My grandfather Abraham and my father's father Yitzchak both withstood a terrible test. They did not complain about God's degree, so why should I be better off than they are? To which God replied to him, if that is what you want, I will give you an even harsher test than Abraham and Yitzchak. And why was this test harder? Because it is, by nature, very difficult for a young man to control his sexual desires, and you could just imagine that he walked around, perhaps with sexual frustration, more than just being bound on on an altar and being ready to 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 you know give up your life in service of God. And Potiphar's wife, we are told in the midrash, was unrelenting, unrelenting. Um, she did everything in her power to seduce him. It says that every day she wore her finest gowns, one more beautiful than the other. And in order to attract his attention, she would put on different dresses. The one she wore in the morning, she did not wear at noon. And the one she wore at noon, she did not wear in the evening. And she used all her wiles to try to attract him and get him to pay attention. And the Midrash goes on and says that, you know, she kept this up for a long time, going on and on and on this behavior, until she couldn't handle it anymore and she became sick and she had to be taken to her bed. And uh, her friends came to visit her and they said to her, what's wrong with you? Why are you so sick? And why are you depressed? She said, let me show you something. Okay, and with that she ordered her servants, we're told, to bring each of the women an etrog, a citron, and a silver knife with which to peel it. And she says to, said to her friends, okay, all of you sit and uh, peel the citrons. And so they're going and peeling it. And while they're doing so, she summons Yosef into the bedroom. And Yosef um, comes in and all the women stop and they gaze at him. And they became so entranced with his appearance that they began to peel their fingers instead of the etrog, and blood was dripping from their hands, but they, they, they didn't even feel it because they were just like so gobsmacked at looking at the beauty of Yosef. And uh, we're told that Potiphar's wife said, you see, one glance is enough to make each one of you fall madly in love with him. What can I say if I have to live with this all the time? And his indifference is making me sick. Um, and this, we are told, actually got spread around Egypt, around, um, you know, the, the, the royal princes and women of the um, aristocracy. He became famous for his good looks and they would come visit him. They would dress in their finery. And we're told that all Yosef did was he would avert his eyes and he would move away because he really did not want to get involved in the immorality that was being demanded of him. Hi 101.9 megahertz of life. Thank you for joining me, and we are talking about um, Joseph. And I have, uh, I have a comment from another Joseph, an avid listener. Um, that asks the question, can one pray for forgiveness to prevent what goes around to come around, especially when the intention is good? One must always pray for forgiveness. And um, if one did have a good intention, but it came out wrong and one knows that there will be a county for, certainly one is able not only to pray for forgiveness, but to make it right if you can. If it is something between you and God then we are told that the the teshuva, the repentance is that, A, you acknowledge it, B, you ask God for forgiveness, and C, you take upon yourself not to do it again. If, however, that which you did um, affected another human being, you will do the first three. A, you will acknowledge it, B, you will ask forgiveness of the person to whom you perpetuated um, the wrongdoing and then you then take upon yourself not to do it again. And that's really what it is. I think think more more importantly than anything is that it teaches one to take an accountability and a responsibility for one's actions. Um, It is human nature that as soon as something is wrong, or something has shown up to be wrong, everybody will try to blame the other person for the situation. And Torah comes to teach us that we need to be um, micro-sensitive to the fact of, did I play a part in it? What did I have to do with the whole thing and to ensure that our hands always remain clean? We're going to look now into verse 8 and 9. He adamantly refused. He says to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know anything about what I'm doing in the house, and he's placed everything that he has, that he owns, in my hands there is nobody greater than me in the house and he has not withheld anything from me except for you for you are his wife how could I possibly perpetuate how can I do such a wrongdoing and and All my, all my, or, 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 you know, that I'm going to sit and, uh, what's her name? I'm going to uh, sin before God. Now, the Midrash takes us into the entire conversation with his wife. Okay? Basically, we're told in the Midrash is that Yosef said to Mrs. Potiphar, Your husband no longer takes responsibility for anything in his household. He doesn't even consider himself the head of the household anymore. Even the clothes you wear, I order. Nothing happens in the house without his permission. But the only thing your husband has kept from me is you. Now, how can I do such a terrible thing and sin against God? And he goes on and he says to her, we have a tradition that someday God will give our people the Torah which is going to be the greatest law the world has ever seen. And although now the Torah hasn't um, been given as descendants of Noah, I am still and you are still forbidden to commit adultery. In the past, Yosef said, God would choose a member of my family as a human sacrifice. Remember, he commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. there is a good chance that God will also choose me for the same purpose because I, too, am his father's favorite son. And if I commit adultery, I will be unfit as an offering to God. Furthermore, my God often reveals himself to people both day and night. He's revealed himself to my grandparents, Abraham, Isaac, and to my father, Jacob. How can he reveal himself to me and find me defiled? In addition, Adam was given one commandment not to eat from a certain tree, and when he violated that commandment, he was banished from the Garden of Eden, and he brought death upon the world. What you are asking from me is even a worse sin. And even more, says Yosef, I'm greatly afraid of my father, who is strict in these these matters. My brother Reuven committed a minor infraction, He moved my father's bed from Bill's tent to his own mother's and his punishment was that his birthright was taken from him and given to me. How can I now have the audacity to do what you are requesting? My father might be far away in the land of Canaan, but he's a prophet and um, nothing can be hidden from him. And more than that, finally... I'm afraid of your husband. If he ever discovered this, he would certainly kill me. To which Mrs. Potiphar replies to all of these reasons, my husband, I'll take care of him. If I kill him, will you do as I desire? And it says then, Yosef started screaming at her, what's wrong with you? Is it not enough that you want to make me into an adulterer? Now you also want to make me an accomplice To murder, I can't understand what's got into your head. Here you have a husband who gives you everything you want. Why do you want to kill him just to be with me? Does milk from a black goat taste any different than milk from a white goat? Stop wasting your words. I will never do such a thing. If for no other reason than than that I fear God, Mrs. Potiphar was furious. And she replied mockingly, God, what does God have to do with this? Who says there's even a God? And if there is, who says that he cares what people like us do? Yosef retorts, God is great. He deserves our praise. We have plenty of evidence from our history that he gives everyone what he deserves. And so this conversation went on and on in this manner. And meanwhile, She was leading, we are told, the Midrash tells us, she was leading Yosef from room to room. And before Yosef realizes what happened, they're standing in front of her bed. And over her bed was one of the idols that she worships. So she places a veil over it and she tries to pull Yosef down onto the bed. And tearing loose from her, Yosef said, Ah, you covered up your God's face did you also think you can cover up the face of the Lord of the universe? Don't you realize that he sees everything? If you're ashamed to sleep with me in the presence of your idol, how can I have the audacity to do as you desire when I know that my God is watching me? How will I approach him and what will I answer him? I swear by God that I will never do such a thing. Can you imagine the strength of Yosef? Can you imagine him staring temptation in the eye in a way that, for all intents and purposes, he might have, could have lived happily ever after in the arms of Mrs. Potiphar's wife, inherited all of Mr. Potiphar's <laughs> richness, and he refused point blank to succumb to any type of sexual aberration one can only only stand in absolute awe of this at the strength of um, of this man now we've got to look at also the word the first word of uh, at, um, word of verse 8 if you look very carefully in a hebrew text you will see that it has on it a squiggly Okay, it's called a shalshelit. A shalshelit looks like a squiggly like uh, uh, worm or snake, right? And the cantillation is that when it is read in the synagogue, the chazan goes up and down and up and down and up and down saying that word. Why? Because musically, the shalshelit has a number of movements, okay, um, it was here to teach us that he didn't he didn't refuse once he refused many times because she kept on coming to him, she kept on trying to seduce him, she kept on and making many movements to tempt him and he had to put a stop to it and he refused to even look at her it's something that is quite extraordinary even today this is 101.9 Hi FM Hi 101.9 megahertz of life. There is a lot in the Torah that we speak about when it comes to uh, sexual desire and the ability to keep oneself pure um, and within the confines of what Torah deems to be uh, correct. I'm going to share with you just uh, you know one or two stories. The Tamu tells us. Um that there was a time when Rabbi Yishmael's son and daughter were taken captive, um, and they were both sold as slaves in the same town. And the masters of both of these slaves, so one guy bought the guy, the boy, and the other bought uh, the girl, they were they were friends and they were boasting of the bargains of the slaves that they had bought. And the one said, I bought a young man as a slave today and I'm willing to wager that he's probably the most handsome young man in the world. Nah, said the other, I bet that he doesn't beat what I bought today. I got at the market a young girl slave and I'm sure there is no girl in the world more beautiful than she. And so they're sitting probably around a beer having this discussion and gradually the idea dawned upon them that if they both had extremely beautiful um, slaves, that if they put them together, they, and 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 they had children, the children would be extremely valuable and worth a lot of money on the slave market. So they decided to couple off the two slaves, and um, be and and they would be partners, and any children that would be born from them. And with that, they took the slaves into a dark room and they locked them together um to let nature take its course. Realizing what was expected of them, the, the the two slaves sat in opposite corners and they didn't even want to speak to each other um, and it was too dark to see or to have any communication. And it says that the young man sat in the one corner and he thought to himself, here I am, the son of the coin Godel, Rabbi Ishmael, and they want to mate me with a slave. I shall not allow myself to be degraded um, to that level. And the same thoughts went on in the girl's mind, like, look at me, I am the daughter of the high priest, and they want me to mate with a slave. I will not allow myself to be degraded. Now, each were very much aware of the other's presence, but they did not even make a move towards each other. When it began to get light and, and the light streamed into the dungeon, they suddenly recognized each other. My sister, my brother! They realized that they were of the same family, and the, the, the Talmud finishes up and says, weeping, they fell into their arms, and they remained hugging each other all day until, sadly, they both died of heartbreak. Um, at because of their of of, of their situations. Um, it says that the prophet Yermiyahu, the Prophet Jeremiah foresaw this incident and he said, Al <laughs> Ailehani, on these things I weep. My eyes, my eyes overflow with tears. You can go look at it in Lamentations. It's in the first chapter, verse 16. So what do we what do we actually learn from this? We learn that, in fact, um, when one finds oneself in an opportunity to sin, he has to think it over carefully and ask, what am I going to do? Am I going to choose to allow myself to be overcome by my best desires, my needs, and my, my wants? Or am I, in fact, going to overcome it because I represent godliness? I represent morality. I represent a, a, a pureness and even if it comes to a point of death do I choose that over succumbing to everything that is base and with that idea I am going to leave you good people and um, thank you for joining me and please god I'll be back same time next week